Amen. Please be seated. A couple announcements. Uh, Tuesday is Shrove Tuesday or Fat Tuesday. There's a celebration tomorrow, Kappa Lounge, 7 to 9, pancakes in preparation for Lent. Tomorrow, 7 to 9 p.m. And then Ash Wednesday, you received the uh, handout on the way in that uh, there's special service this Wednesday at 10.30 for Ash Wednesday. If you haven't noticed, it's election season. Yeah, and uh, California's primary is March 3rd, very good. So uh, things seem to be a little more confused and divisive than usual, and whenever that's the case, I always go back to Jesus, and uh, Jesus told us this verse, therefore give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. Uh, Talk about what you think that verse means with the people around you for just a minute. What does this mean? All right, great. There's a handout for today. If you don't have one of those, please raise your hand and someone will bring one to you. Uh, Whenever I get confused, particularly about things in the Bible, one of my top go-to guys is Dr. Mark Brighton, and he's here to straighten all this out for us today. Welcome, Dr. Brighton. We're in a series, does God really say or does the Bible really say? And so um, the question today is, does the Bible really tell us to obey civil authorities? You know, it is said there are two things you should never talk about at the cafeteria table or in public settings. That's one is religion and the other is politics. And here I am doing both at one time. What was I thinking? It is not my goal to talk about the shenanigans that go on in Washington or anywhere else. I mean, that's pretty easy enough. They're easy targets. I'd rather just stand back and talk about, in general, what should the Christian attitude be about civil authorities, because there is some confusion about all this. The verse I have there is Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And we look at Washington and we say, okay, how are we supposed to do this? Whether you're Democrat or Republican or Independent or whether you would just rather drop out. Let's stand back and let's take a longer look. Because many... Biblical authorities or experts would point to Genesis 9 as an institution, as the institution of civil authority. And there there is a verse, in the midst of unbridled evil, in the midst of evil just taking a hold of humankind, uh, right at the time of the flood, there is a verse which God spoke to the people there. Whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. And many biblical experts would say, here is the genesis of the authority of civil governments. Civil governments or civil authorities are there to provide a restraint upon evil, uh, to punish murder, or to punish theft, or to punish other acts of evil. 
so that you and I would pause before we do these things. I shouldn't kill somebody or else I will get in trouble. I shouldn't steal somebody's stuff or else I will go to jail. I shouldn't cheat on a test or else I will fail the class. So there is a purpose for civil authority that many would see, but civil authority immediately goes off the rails in the very next chapters. Because we read in Genesis 11 that they all unite. Let's build a tower for ourselves. Let's magnify ourselves. Let's unite in one government. We will become like gods. We will glorify ourselves. And so right off the bat, civil authority uses that authority for purposes which are contrary to what God intends. You see, self-glorification... Radical self-centeredness, if you will, you could describe as the essence of evil. And you see this in many places in the Bible. A very clear place is in Ezekiel 28. There the prophet addresses the king of Tyre. But later in that chapter you wonder if we're only talking about the king of Tyre. Read along with me. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods, in the heart of the seeds, yet you are but a man and no God. Though you make your heart like the heart of a God, and then there's a large parenthesis, you are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself. You have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in your trade, you have increased your wealth, and your heart has become proud in your wealth. But because you say you are a God, therefore thus the Lord God says, because you have made your heart like the heart of a God, therefore behold, I will bring foreigners upon you the most ruthless of the nations, and they will draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. And now a few verses later in the same chapter. Notice how the pattern that the attitude of the king of Tyre is an age-old attitude of evil. Here the prophet says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub, and I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created Tell unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Perhaps we're not talking about the king of Tyre here. You were in Eden. Maybe we're thinking of Adam and Eve. They were glorious in the Garden of Eden. But it's not just them. There is an age-old evil here. 
the arch enemy, who, according to theological experts, was a glorious angel, but took pride in his own identity and wanted to replace God. Self-glorification, radical self-centeredness, the essence of evil. You see it in Ezekiel. Revelation 13 says that this will be a symptom of the latter days, how civil authority will continue to go off the rails into self-glorification. I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten hordes and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. The beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, its mouth was like a lion's. The dragon gave its power and throne and great authority to the beast. When you're in Revelation, it's very difficult to know, okay, how do we decode this image? We can't take a literal description because we have an animal like never we've seen before. But scholars of Revelation would say here there is an allusion to Daniel 7, the leopard, the bear, and the lion, and there those images are representations of civil authority. And so here John is seeing a composite, how in the latter days civil authority will be used by the dragon to accomplish the dragon's purposes. They worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? And the beast was given a mouth to utter haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise its authority for 42 months. The easiest way to reconcile 42 months is at the very end of Daniel. The angelic being tells Daniel, how long will it be before all these things have happened from your day till the glorious outbreak of God's kingdom? And the angel says it will be time, times, and half a time, three and a half years, 42 months. Uh, John uses this time period in the middle of Revelation. The beast, civil authority, will be active also in the latter days in a self-glorifying way to fight against God's people. Next page. Authority itself, however, is not inherently good or bad. It's rather a given in creation. God established authorities to control evil, but it's also used by the adversary to advance an inflaming narcissism, which finally ends in idolatry. But Jesus himself shows the proper use of authority in John 13. I like this passage. It's one of my go-to passages about authority. There John says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the table and began to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus uses his authority to serve others. Jesus uses his authority to give life. So what does this say about other authorities? Humans over creation, it's not to destroy, it's to take care of creation. Parents over children, to give and provide for them. Civil authorities, parents, pastors and congregations, Husbands and marriages, you heard me a little while ago last semester. If I have any authority in my family, according to Paul, 
It's the authority to give all that I have for the welfare of my family. That's the only authority I have. Submission itself also is a given in creation. It's not the deprivation of life, but it's the honoring of appropriate roles. 1 Corinthians 15, when all things are subjected to him, that is Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subject to him, the Father, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Here, authority must be the acknowledging of roles. Because you have one member of the Trinity, the Son, submitting himself to another co-equal member of the Trinity, the Father. So submission in this passage does not mean a lesser value. It just means the acknowledging of roles. In the mystery of the Trinity, we see this. So how are we to understand Romans 13? Well... Things weren't great in Paul's day when he was writing this. People in the empire normally saw temples dedicated to Caesar. People in the empire thought that Roman power was it. Now, we don't have mass-wide persecutions. That was still on the horizon. We have evidence of that early in the first, second century. But still, this was their environment. People saying that the president, I mean Caesar, is a semi-divine being. There was no separation of church and state back then. It was all of a piece. And yet Paul still says, be subject to governing authorities. But first of all, you and I must be clear on the vocabulary. Be subject does not mean obey. The first means Subject means to recognize and honor the proper role of civil authorities. The second means to do all that authorities demand. While we are to recognize the proper role of civil authority and to uphold them in the exercise of that role, when they go off the rails, you and I are not called to obey civil authorities when they command from Christians what clearly is contrary to God's will. So when should you disobey civil authorities? If they demand that you deny your faith in Christ, as they would do from time to time in the first century, as some civil authorities still do today, if you become a Christian in certain parts of the world, that will be a death sentence in some places. Not so much here. How does one still submit and not obey as the Christians did? They did not say your authority is illegitimate. They are saying you're using it illegitimately. And they would give their lives. They would die for their faith. Give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God's the things that are God's. I wish I could have heard everything that you said. This obviously was a trick question that they posed to Jesus because if he said, don't pay taxes to Caesar, they would arrest him for treason. If he said, pay taxes to Caesar, they would say he cannot be the Messiah because he's telling us to support the Romans. But above and beyond that, here is a clear distinction. To God is your ultimate allegiance. To God who created your life 
and who comes to recreate your life in Christ, that's where you put all the chips. That's where your ultimate priorities lie. You still honor civil authorities when they ask for taxes. You pay taxes. Notice that you don't disobey. When I say, when do you disobey civil authorities? You don't disobey them because you don't like what they do. I don't like to pay taxes. But we do anyway. It's only when they clearly demand of Mark Brighton or you something which is contrary to God's will. The reformer's concept of two kingdoms, I think, is helpful here. In civil affairs, you and I are called never to normalize evil. We are always called to fight for justice. Fight for justice. But in that fight, you and I must take care not to thoughtlessly mix civil and divine authority. You see, the kingdom of Christ is not advanced through civil authorities. The kingdom of Christ does not come by compulsion. The kingdom of Christ comes by those who come to Christ willingly, offering their lives because of all that he has done for them. Neither do civil servants work as agents of divine grace. We know this to be true. Try, try it sometime when you get a speeding ticket. You know, officer, you're supposed to be a forgiving toward me. After all, Jesus said that you should forgive me, so I don't think that you should write a ticket for me. See how far that goes. You can wear a clergy collar and it won't work. I know. No. <laughs> Just kidding, I've never tried that. But here's how I'd like to end. Where do all the chips go? All the chips go on the authority of Christ. How does Christ use his authority? To give you life. To recreate you. To give you a hope. To give you a future. And so you and I can find life and joy in submitting to the authority of Jesus. That's where all of us stand. And so in these in-between times, while we stand there, we follow Paul's directions in 1 Timothy. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, for presidents, for all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet, godly and dignified in every way, because this is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you sent your Son with authority to recreate all things through his death and resurrection. We rejoice. We rejoice standing under his authority and finding life and joy there. And we also then pray that you would enlighten the hearts and the minds of all our civil rulers so that they, they rule in such a way that peace and justice would prevail so that your gospel kingdom here would have free reign so that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. 
Lord Jesus Christ, we pray this in your name. Amen.